Are you tired of ticket fees? Pay the price for your ticket that is advertised and not a penny more. Go to TixBlitz.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Fantastic prices on all sports and concert tickets. Guaranteed seats, no fees. TixBlitz.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Episode of How Tech Hall. Good evening, Mr. How Tech. How are you, sir? Double A. Good evening. Um, it's I'm okay. Uh, this has been uh, a, an interesting week, uh, which we're going to talk about uh, a little bit. Uh, we've got uh, Jeff Burkus joining our show. Uh, not too far from right now, we're going to bring back the Bears Championship Belt Series. Uh, we're going to go to part three, which takes us from the Bears championship season, actually from 1962, the Bears championship season in 63, right through 1985, where we'll leave off. And then uh, part four is coming out uh, on Whitney City Gridiron in a couple of weeks, uh, and we'll bring Jeff back on when, when we get to part four. That'll take us from 85 to the late 90s. And then part five uh, will bring us uh, from the late 90s, early 2000s to present day. So uh, Jeff will be joining us here in just a little bit. One of a plethora of the guys at Windy City Gridiron that uh, use Halitech Hall to get out some great information to not only their listeners, but our listeners as well. Before we get even started, though, um, I have a surprise for our listeners uh, and a challenge as well. A um, couple weeks ago, uh, we put out a poll about assuming fans are able to attend games this year, which game would you want to be to see in person? And we had the Tampa game out there and the Vikings game out there and the Saints game out there. But the overwhelming choice was Green Bay, which is the last at least as of right now, the last regular season game to be played at Soldier Field on January 3rd. I talked to the, our, our sponsors over at TickSplits.com, and uh, we're going to have a little contest. So uh, Green Bay will be the game. We will give out two tickets to the Bears-Packers game on January 3rd if fans are allowed to attend. Um all you got to do is retweet our messages on Twitter, and we need to get to a thousand followers before uh, the, the before Christmas. Uh, that's it, and we don't have that far to go. It's just a little over 300. We get to a thousand listeners, so retweet often and uh, get your your fellow Bears fans to to follow Halitech Hall, and we're going to give away two tickets to the Bears-Packers game. So hopefully by the end of the year, fans will be able to fill the seats. So uh, I don't think uh, even Aaron uh, knew about this 
uh, promotion that Tick Splits is putting on for us. No, that's great. And, yeah, I mean, uh, hopefully you would think there's a decent chance that uh, there could be, you know, fans in the stands for that game. Um, so, yeah, that's awesome. Great news. Absolutely. Um, speaking of news, there's been some news going on in the league. Um, you know, as, as states start to reopen and I don't know, I think Illinois is now entering phase three of their reopening, whatever that means. I know that there's some diners that can open up to outside dining and they've got, they've got tables and chairs lined up in parking lots and, and whatnot. Um, here up in Wisconsin, there are actually some restaurants where you can go in and sit down and have a meal, although I haven't uh, quite drug, drummed up the courage enough to go sit in a restaurant yet. Um, but the league came out with a few things because there are some facilities now open to staff members, but not coaches uh, <laughs> or players. Uh, and they have tried to do some things to be very equitable. So if one team can't do it, nobody can do it, uh, which I think is fair. The important thing is this. Um, they, they talked about veteran mini camps coming out in towards the end of July, which is something that, that they definitely wanted. They want to get these guys back in and get them working out so they can see what their condition levels are are because pads are going to go on and believe it or not pads go on in seven weeks you know that that's not a very long time if they're going to be any training camp at all and if there's any hopes to having the season start on time you got to get them into to summer camp uh which is has to happen at the team's facilities there can't be any off-site uh meetings or or workouts and a second thing that they discussed is they have eliminated the opportunity for teams to work out against each other. So if you recall, the Bears were slated to work out with Denver um, in, during, during August, uh, and that's no longer the case. So the only contact they will have with, with opposing players will be either – during preseason or when the regular season starts. So some interesting things that have been going on in the league, Aaron. Yeah, for sure. Um, that is, uh, you know, the, the pace was interviewed this past week and he was talking about, he was hopeful that the, the Broncos during practices was going to happen. So um, that's too bad, but it makes sense. Uh, you know, they're just trying to keep as, as safe and simple as possible and limit the travel and, uh, cross-contamination and so forth. Um, after Fangio kind of stuck his foot in his mouth today, he's probably happy to uh, keep keep uh, under uh, under the radar um, anyway as it worked out. So, um, but as it as it uh, as it goes, we'll see. I just hope that um, you know they get onto a field and get things going sooner rather than later. Uh, yeah, they did open up uh, patios on restaurant uh, restaurants here, and uh, there were some places, you know, downtown that that opened. Uh, there's still some businesses that are not so uh, keen to open just yet, but things seem to have calmed down uh, on the uh, <clears throat> protesting and 
whatnot front uh, a little bit. So uh, hopefully we're turning things around uh, on, on the multiple fronts that we're dealing with. Absolutely. And we're going to be getting into the situation in the country. We can't literally close our eyes to what has transpired over the last few days. And I promise our listeners, we are going to get into that uh, in our last segment of the show today. But uh, um, our second segment of the show, as I mentioned at the top of the broadcast, uh, Jeff Burkus is going to be joining us uh, going over. Uh, and for those of you that are new to our podcast, one of the things that the whole show does that sets us apart from everybody else is we spend a good deal of time talking about the history of what is now the 101-year uh, uh, legend that is the Chicago Bears. Um, Jeff Burkus uh, has written a series of articles where he's actually gone through from year one, and we're going to talk about the 60s, 70s, and up until the mid-80s today, uh, where he's awarded a like a, a heavyweight boxer belt or a WWE belt, for those of you that don't know what boxing is in this day and age anymore, um, ultimate fighting championship belt, to players that were the best going all the way back to 1920, and we will end with 1985. So we're going to take a small break to hear from our sponsor, TickSplits.com. And when we come back, Jeff Burkus will join us, and we're going to talk about the Bears Championship Belt Series, Part three. We'll be right back, folks. So you're looking for great ticket deals. Who is it? Well, TixBlitz.com has you covered. From the biggest sporting events to Broadway shows and concerts, TixBlitz.com has the best ticket selection at the very best prices out there and no service fees. So the price you see is the price you pay. Plus, TixBlitz.com donates up to 25% of their proceeds to charity. TixBlitz.com has the tickets you want when you want them. Go to TixBlitz.com today. That's TickSplits.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. That's right, folks. Tickets are now available for all football games uh, and concerts that have been rescheduled. Baseball season is getting ready to start. Basketball season is getting ready to start. And uh, even hockey has announced a playoff format going forward to, to end the year. Uh, so go to TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z.com. Use promo code TAILGATE, T-A-I-L-G-A-T-E, and save 5%. On every event available, there are $6 billion of ticket inventory at TickSplits.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. We are proud to welcome back JB, the one and only Jeff Burkus from Windy City Gridiron. Good evening, Jeff. How are you tonight? Doing well. Thanks for having me back, guys. Great to have you back. Uh, hey, question for you. We're going to be going over part three of the championship belt series, and I know you've been busy, uh, and we'll talk about the uh, uh, your other project, the uh, Hallis to Mac uh, Bears History by Decades podcast that you've been having uh, because uh, your last episode kind of fits into the beginning of part three of the championship belt series. But when is part four and five coming out to Windy City Gridiron? 
part four is wrapped up. Uh, final touches need to be put on it, but I'm trying to schedule it so that it coincides with the release of the Hallis to Mac episodes. And so uh, this coming Monday, the 1970s episode comes out, and then I'm going to try to get it so sometime next week so that you can read part four, which starts after Walter Payton in the late 80s and goes through the 1999 season. And then that'll hit before the Hallis to Mac episode in the in the 80s and then the 90s. So hopefully next week and then part five uh, to be determined. I have to do a lot of Photoshop work to uh, get that prepared. And, of course, uh, you will be back on our show uh, for both parts four and five when, when they are ready. And as promised, we won't have you on the show to talk about it before it hits Windy City Gridiron because that just wouldn't be prudent. So welcome back, Jeff. It's great to have you on, on the, sh- the Halitech Hall Show. Um, part three of the championship belt series. We go right into 1962 and 1963. And, uh, you know, that was um, the very first uh, couple years of, of Mike Ditka's career as a bear. Uh, but uh, he had a, a little bit of uh, uh, of an opponent, as you will, in the ring uh, for the championship belt. So tell us about it. Well, first I want to say you have some personal history with this era. You were a fan and alive and watching during this era. So I want you to feel comfortable jumping in and giving your opinions on how I did here because I'm approaching this from a history uh, project and, and you actually saw these guys play. And so, you know, feel free to make sure that I'm, I, I was right on these. <laughs> I'm, I'm honored to, uh, uh, to be challenged. <laughs> <laughs> so obviously it's tough because you have a lot of legendary names and a lot of all time greats. Uh, the last episode or the last part, part two ends with Bill George holding the belt until 1961. Uh, George's play, you know, while historic and fantastic, does start to tail off towards the end of his career. In 1962, it seemed like the right year to transition it over to Doug Atkins, who's, I think, has the case to be the best defensive lineman in team history. I'd be curious to hear what your guys' thoughts are. Uh, But uh, Atkins was really in the prime here, and he played forever. Uh, And so it's hard to, to pinpoint what... Atkins's prime was, but it seems like this was really his prime. George was kind of losing a step. His only real competition would have been Ditka uh, during these the 62-63 season, but the 63 team is known for an incredible defense, and the the offense was really kind of pathetic, even though Ditka was, was obviously a good player. And so for me, I, I felt like it had to be a defensive player, and so I took the best defensive player on that great defense, which was Doug Atkins. Dud Atkins was just a, a man amongst boys uh, playing the game, uh, Jeff. And it's a great pick to start the uh, what is you know, two years into the 60s. But Dud Atkins, um, he might have more sacks than anybody. Even what, who's the name of the guy on the Rams in the fearsome foursome? That, Deacon Jones. Uh, that's the guy, uh, you know. People all all the way always talk about Deacon is he might be the number one sack man of all time, but they didn't start counting sacks 
until, as a, an official statistic, until the early 80s, believe it or not. 1982. Yep. And, and Doug Atkins might have more sacks uh, than, than he did uh, for playing for the Rams. Uh, just an absolute terror on defensive end. Uh, he, but he didn't even start his career with the Chicago Bears. He actually played in, uh, his first couple of seasons with the Cleveland Browns. Yep, Cleveland Browns. I think a uh, it was like a third and a fifth round draft pick was all it took to acquire his services pretty early in his career. Played the vast majority of his career in Chicago and then finished up in New Orleans. And then a fun little uh, nugget about his career. Last play of his career for the Saints, he recorded a sack. That's a great story. He's also, even though he only played three seasons for the for the uh, New Orleans Saints, they also retired. They yeah, also retired he's his. He's in their Hall of Fame, and same with Dave Weasel Witzel. Yep, Davey Witzel, uh, which was a, a he was an excellent safety back in those teams of the early '60s. So we have we have um, so we have Doug Atkins going for the first two years. Well, I should and, mention that we've mentioned in the previous show. Sorry, sorry, Michael, but uh, oh, that's okay. Uh, we've we got mentioned walk the previous up shows. The, yeah, yeah, the walk-up songs and in the in the posters. Uh, this one was forged in fire. I wanted to get kind of a, a you know some kind of Iron Mike Dicka theme going, and so Whiskey Ranger produced this poster. I think it's it's a really nice one. And then the walk-up music for Doug Atkins was the Beastie Boys "Sabotage." Uh, sounds to me like a jailbreak uh, pass rush kind of song energy. So yeah. felt felt appropriate for a defensive end. Hey, it's great to give Whiskey Ranger a plug. It's nice to see him uh, back a little bit. Yeah, these. Uh, so he did four of these six posters that are in this uh, in this particular issue, and then unfortunately, you're going to get my bad Photoshop skills for two of them, and uh, and for all of the posters for the next part. So uh, you know, yeah, come for the article and and stay for the bad Photoshop. <laughs> uh, and you know, we we posted a link, and we'll post another link to to this uh, championship belt series. Uh, part three on our Twitter and our Facebook account. And you can find us both at uh, either Facebook or twitter.com slash Halitech Hall. And we're talking with Jeff Burkus from the Windy City Grand Iron, uh, the championship belt series part three. And we're up to now what is 1964. And uh, it's a guy that we all know and love by the name of Mike Ditka. So Mike Dicka and it's versus uh, Joe Fortunato. And I actually want to ask you what you remember about Joe Fortunato, because to me, this guy's pretty fascinating. I think he's in the hall of very good. And he reminds me a lot uh, career performance wise and maybe playing in the shadow of Bill George for most of his career reminds me a lot of Lance Briggs. What a great comparison. Uh, you know, he, Joe Fortunato played outside linebacker. Um, and I'm sure that a lot of people that are familiar with Bears history know that one of the best receivers in Bears history was was also later in his, his career in Chicago, a sportscaster on, on CBS Channel 2 by the name of Johnny Morris. But it was his brother, Larry, that also played uh, linebacker for the team back then, and uh, but Joe Fortunato, he, he was he was just a, a hell of a guy. He he was the complement on the outside 
to Bill George, and I'd have to go back and and uh, and see when Joe's career ended. But I I seem to remember that he also played um, on the side of uh, Dick Butkus as well, because I believe he played through '66. Uh, Sounds right. If I, if I can remember correctly, so he was with Butkus uh, for for two his first two years. Um, he, he actually retired in sixty, so sixty six, and he started. He started all fourteen games, both since nineteen sixty five and sixty six. Uh, Bill George actually was the outside linebacker in sixty five on the on the other side, opposite Fortunato. Mm-hmm when Butkus began his reign as middle linebacker in the mid-60s. All right. Well, so I, I find him fascinating because this is a guy that I only came across because of studying Bears history. And so he doesn't actually win the belt, but I think he's important to talk about because he's really good. Uh, unfortunately for him in this in this exercise, the 64 defense kind of falls apart. And I know there was a lot of reasons for the, I guess, the championship hangover after 63, if you will. Uh, And so, you know, maybe you've gotten into that in the past of how that team fell off. But the defensive ranking goes from best defense in the league to at the bottom in 64. And so that really helped Mike Ditka's case. Uh, This was sort of his one chance to thread in to claim the belt uh, from a defensive player. And so I give it to Ditka. Um, Almost felt like I had to find a way to give it to Ditka in a way. But, uh, uh, you know, most people know him as the coach. I think even some some younger fans might just know him as a TV analyst. And, yeah, I know that he coached the Bears. But obviously, incredible player. He's in the Hall of Fame because he was a great player. Uh, Still owns team records and catches yards and touchdowns for the tight end position. So still dominates the record books in, in, in that way. And then for, for this one, um, poster is just called pay the iron price, a uh, little game of Thrones reference for, for those of you that like that. And then uh, I gave him the <laughs> little John song turned down for what, which I don't know. It just, it's like 100% energy at all times like that song just doesn't make you know it's just it's just pure energy which sounds like to me like Mike Ditka's game put in audio form you know I'm not familiar with Game of Thrones being 63 that's just not my thing but uh, <laughs> uh, it's it's uh, at least I can talk about the Bears in 1960 and I'll let you talk about Game of Thrones so uh, I'm sure I'm sure we have a have a deal on, on that one going forward. But uh, uh, 1965, um, historic in terms of, of Bears history because of the two first-round draft choices. They, they selected back-to-back in the first round of 1965. And uh, obviously, um, the Kansas Comet made his mark a little bit quicker than did... Uh, Dick, I, I didn't even look. I'm going to sneak ahead and see if you said Dick the Bruiser. Uh, Dick the Maestro of Mayhem, uh, Butkus. Uh, Gail Sayers, what an impact starting immediately with 22 touchdowns in the 1965 season. So I've given you away. Uh, obviously, Gail held the championship belt starting in 1965. Uh, how long did he hold the belt? 
So it's I, honestly, I found this. I thought this was going to be the hardest decision, or one of the hardest decisions in the series, was trying to decide how to get you know discern who could get the belt between Gail Sayers and Dick Buckus. And but when you really think about it, running back is an easier path because that's a um, that's just a that's just a great. Uh, a position to to attract a lot of attention, and so certainly would be fan favorite very quickly. And then I think that he, like you said, just had an immediate impact as a rookie, 1965. Buckus was playing well early, but not quite to the level of you know capturing the hearts and minds of Bears fans that Gale Sayers would. So Sayers, to me, owns the belt for the first three years because once you capture it, it's you know you have to have a good reason to be taken off. And then. Uh, we called it the clash of the Titans because these are two guys that are linked at the hip in bears history. They're drafted number two and number three overall, and they had their numbers retired together. You know, there's a great uh, football life with the two of them uh, linked together. So these guys are just, they're linked in bears history. I think any top 100 list of, of bears history always has these two guys in the top five for sure. And a lot of them have both of them in the top three. And it just kind of shows you how crazy it is to capture uh, the services of both of these gentlemen in the same draft. And a little nugget that I came across when I was doing prep for the House to Mac show that, that you've referenced uh, for the 1960s episode that's out now, uh, the Bears actually had a third first round draft pick in that draft. And they took a tackle who ended up signing with the Chargers in the rival AFL league at the time. And so um, that was a kind of a lost draft pick. But the the first quarterback off the board, and the Bears needed a quarterback, they just didn't take one. Um, the first quarterback off the board in that draft was Joe Namath. <laughs> and so I've, I you know, had this thought like, wow, how amazing would that have been had the Bears also taken Joe Namath in that draft and, and draft is Sayers, Buckus, and Namath. But you know, hindsight's a fun fun thing to have. But yeah, who, who drafted Namath in the NFL? Obviously, we know he went to the Jets, but was he drafted at all by an NFL team? Yeah, he was drafted a couple picks after the Bears pick. And off the top of my head, I can't remember if it was the Lions or. Uh, or who, who it was, uh, but it it uh, obviously they ended, he ended up signing with New York and changed the course of football history forever there with with the Super Bowl three victory. So very interesting to think about what could have happened to those Bears teams uh, had they had a signal caller like Joe Namath uh, and not the the struggles that they had throughout the '60s and early '70s. But not a part of the belt, just kind of an aside. And and obviously Sayers, I, I feel like. There's not anything I can say about Gail Sayers that people don't really know about, uh, but he's a lot of fun to look into. A lot of like his highlights just look really fresh. Even <clears throat> even today, he looks like he just glides through uh, defenders. He's it, it, to me, I called him a virtuoso of speed and moves, and and I just felt like that described how he played the game. He just sort of just slid through defenders in the field in, a, in this very virtuistic way. And and to me, there was only one choice. This was the most obvious song choice for me. And that was, I had to give him Jimi Hendrix, who I think plays the guitar like Gail Sayers played the running back position. And so he got all along the watchtower uh, by Jimi Hendrix. Awesome. You know, there's one, there's another forgotten bear that, that played in this era a little bit before the uh, the Sears and Butkus 
1965 debut. Uh, and I don't know if you had any chance to, to look at him through your historical view of of the uh, championship belt series, or even if you had the chance to, to talk about him. I think you did in the 50s. Um, but Willie Gallimore. Uh, Willie Gallimore actually ran the same 100-yard dash time as Gail Sayers does at yeah. 9.7. And his moves were very similar to that right. of Gail Sears. Uh, and it's, it would be, you know, obviously you can't go back and change history, but do the Bears draft Gail Sears if Willie Gallimore wasn't killed prior to the 1964 season? And I bring that up because we talked a little bit about 1964 just a few minutes ago. And I think the funk of losing Willie Gallimore and Bo Farrington in 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 summer camp as they were driving back to camp from to bringing to be to bring pizzas back um mm. you know which is what happened he the, their car overturned and, and they were both killed um the, that was a funk that they never got out of which which caused the the season just to to uh to go right into the uh the, into the crapper but uh when you take a look at the film of Willie Gallimore versus the film of, of Gail Sayers, they're very eerily similar. Uh, but of course, Gail, you know, Gail had the pleasure of playing, and, and it's interesting because in the 1960s, that's when television really started to take its foothold. Mm. Uh, in in the NFL, it really wasn't much of a factor in the 50s and early 60s, and and quite frankly, uh, before I think either one of you were born, uh, home games were blacked out in Chicago. Right. You know, there there was a time where, and I grew up in the the northwest suburbs in the Schaumburg and Hanover Park area, and you knew you had an avid Bear fan in the neighborhood when they had a huge antenna tower with the antenna pointed to the Northwest <laughs> <laughs> because they were bringing in the, uh, the, 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 uh, television stations out of Rockford so they could watch bears games when bears games, uh, were blacked out in, in the Chicago lead area. So, uh, yeah, interesting, interesting footnote there. Speaking of, of footnotes and we, we, we talked a little bit about Joe Fortunato and, and I wanted to bring something up that uh, our listeners just won't know. But when you take a look at Dick Butkus, and we talked about Dick Butkus uh, on our show, Jeff. I don't know if you've had a chance to listen to some of our podcasts. But when you're not on the show or if we're not talking about something else historical, we've been highlighting the careers of the Bears Hall of Fame uh, or at least the guys whose jerseys have been retired. Right. Starting starting with Bronco Nagurski at number three, and we just uh, we just ended up doing last week. We did Dick Butkus at, at 51. So we we talked about Joe Fortunato, and here's some interesting statistics. In Joe Fortunato's career, he had 16 interceptions. To Dick Butkus's uh, 22 interceptions. Dick Butkus had 27 fumble recoveries, and Fortunato actually had 22. 
so very similar. Mm-hmm. You know, so I'm, I'm glad you brought up the name Joe Fortunato because he was, again, you know, when you, you look back at Bill George, um, Al Bradovich, which we haven't even talked about, um, you know, he was a defensive lineman, though. Uh, Larry Morris, Joe Fortunato, Butkus, Doug Buffon, uh, Mike Singletary, uh, Lance Briggs, uh, Wilbur Marshall. The list goes on and on and on. You know, sadly, the, the Bears, we can't sit there and rattle off all of these amazing quarterbacks that, uh, that the Bears have had because they've had basically Jay Cutler and Sid Luckman. <laughs> but... Uh, yeah, but but you can you can rattle off running backs and you can rattle off linebackers and it's a, it seems to be a never-ending list. But uh, you know, Gale Sears for his his three years, 65, 66, and 67, don't even take into account his best game as a as a bear aside from the six touchdown performance. But he had 205 rushing yards against Green Bay, up in Green Bay, only to see his knee be shattered the following week at home against San Francisco, which basically ended his career, even though he had a stellar comeback season in 69. Yeah, I, I mean, a couple of things. One, I wanted to mention Willie the Wisp. We do talk about him on the 60s episode. And... Uh, Matt, my my best friend and partner partner in this uh, in this podcast series, he actually got the the opportunity to do a little bit more research on him, and he was presenting his biography during during the episode, and he actually mentioned that exact same thing that he looks just like Gale Sayers, and that he looks very much like a modern running back. And the one thing that I think of when I see uh, uh, Gallimore is that he has that very interesting face mask. His face guard is very distinctive, uh, and it's it's different than Sayers. And so obviously the number is different, but the face guard's different. And so that that's how I can kind of quickly tell who's running the ball. But yeah, very very interesting. We did talk about him, and, and obviously the tragedy that uh, that happened. And you know that that the reason why the '60s are so interesting is because it's a decade that's full of legendary players and you know some highs with Hallis getting in the Hall of Fame. The Hall of Fame starting and Hallis being a part of the first class and, and along with other Bears and Hallis winning that last championship, wins coach of the year. And then you have incredible lows like uh, Willie Gallimore and Bo Farrington. And then at the end of the decade, you have Brian Piccolo. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, yeah, we talked about Brian Piccolo just a, a couple of weeks ago. And, um, you know, my my father also passed away from cancer uh, in and around his his lung region, um, I, I think Piccolo died in '70, uh, and uh, my dad died in 1972, when I was only 15 and a half, and it was the, the Bears only the Bears' second season at Soldier Field for their regular season games. And you know when you when I go back and 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 rehash memories, I just can't believe that I only went to, you know, maybe four or five games at Soldier Field with my dad uh, to go see a, a Bears game uh, because, uh, you know, there were three in 1971 when they first played, which was Gale Sayers last year. And then in 1972, we went to the very first game 
uh, of the 72 season where the Bears got shellacked by the Atlanta Falcons. And, uh, you know, we're leaving that stadium, and my dad was, uh, was, had, a, had a hell of a fever. He didn't mm-hmm. even want to go to the game, but he decided he was going to take me because he knew that's what I wanted to do. And he, he literally asks me at the end of the third quarter if he wouldn't mind if we left the game early because he didn't feel well. I said, yeah, sure. You know, Bears were getting killed by the time anyway. And I said, yeah, sure, Dad. Last game he ever, ever, ever attended. So uh, there's a lot of history in this time of of uh, of uh, this this championship belt series part three. Not only is there a lot of history with a lot of these great players, but there's a lot of personal history as well. Yeah. Jeez, sorry to hear that. So 1968. The man finally takes over, and uh, he he holds the the reins for what uh, four or five years here. Yeah, I mean, it's it, obviously Buckus was going to get it at some point, so 1968 seems like a pretty good uh, place to do that. Obviously, Sayers getting hurt kind of helps that transition, but Buckus 1968 was his second uh, first team All Pro honor. He ends up having five of them. I don't really think that there's any real competition for the belt after Buckus takes it over. There's no one that's really breathing down his neck. Uh, but for this one, I, I did think that Dick Gordon uh, had a great season, was a very talented wide receiver, and at least needed to be mentioned. And so uh, for them, I came up with the title Flash and Smash. You have the flashy wide receiver, and you've got, of course, Dick Buckus being smashed. The the maestro of mayhem was a nickname that I wasn't necessarily familiar with, but it's on Pro Football Reference, and I thought that that was really fun and seemed like a good nickname to to bring back into the fold. And so uh, that's that's that matchup. But I mean, again, it's one of those things. Like I feel like people know so much about Buckus, but I think the one thing that really sticks out to me is that they have the best college linebacker award is named the Buckus Award. And and I think anytime you're you have an award named after you, you you've done something quite well. And and so that's to me is just one of the many things about Dick Buckus that's interesting, but shows just how amazing he was. And for me, um, you know, there's picking out these walk up songs, I've tried to limit myself to one song per artist, which has been a little bit of a challenge. It's made me kind of push out a little bit. But ACDC has a bunch of songs that you could give out <laughs> for, for a series like this, but I had to save it for someone like Buckus. And so he gets ACDC's Hell's Bells as a walk-up song. And when you actually think about the lyrics and listen to the lyrics, to me, it sounds like a middle linebacker trash talking. And and so I, I thought this was the perfect song for him to come out to. Just think about those ominous bells and just how much of a trash talker Dick Buckus was and how much he was probably in the head of his opponents from before the opening kickoff. And to me, this is kind of a, just a, a match made in heaven for, for the, for the walk-up song. I'm glad you picked uh, his challenger, which is interesting enough that is poorly uh, of, of offenses that they had aside from Gail Sayers in the late 60s and early 70s. Uh, Dick Gordon was an all-pro. He made the Pro Bowl as a Bears receiver. Go figure that out. You know, in, in 1970, on only 71 receptions, the man had over 1,000 yards and had 13 touchdowns. 
you know, it, it, we've talked about my experiences in, in the 60s. Um, there's, there's four or five distinct plays that I can remember uh, in in uh, my time watching games at so at Wrigley Field, um, and the first one that I can remember, I was all of eight years old um, when when Benny McRae intercepted Roman Gabriel in 1965 in the end zone. On God, if he didn't get tripped up uh, just before he reached midfield, he probably goes 104 yards for a touchdown. The second play is. The Bears are playing the St. Louis Cardinals at home. I, I want to say it was October of 1967. Jack Cannon was the quarterback, and he threw a bomb. He was he was literally standing at the goal line in the north end zone, or what would be the left field wall at Wrigley Field, and he throws a ball as far as he can. He literally hits two Cardinal defenders uh, who both go for the ball. The ball gets deflected and right into Dick Gordon's hands, and he waltzes in for a 93-yard touchdown, which is one of the – I think it's the longest, if not the second longest, touchdown reception in Bears history. <laughs> and I remember that. I remember that play distinctly. Uh, there was a there was a play I think it was in 1968 when Virgil Carter was the quarterback of the team, and he led them on a two-minute drive downfield from north to south, and Mac Percival kicks a game-winning field goal uh, to beat the Vikings. Um, and if the Bears don't lose 28 to 27 to Green Bay at home on the last game of the year, they actually take the division and end up making the playoffs, but instead the Vikings went on to win, and I think they actually went on to uh, the championship game if they didn't win the NFL, at least the NFL title, that mm. year only to lose the, the Super Bowl. So good stuff, good yeah. stuff. So uh, Dick Butkus held the belt from, uh, from 1968 to 1972, and uh, I got to tell you, your next pick – I am just absolutely impressed with your next pick because he was a terror on the defensive line in the early mid seventies. I think Wally Chambers is one of those guys that people don't know about because he had an injury shortened career. And I think it's a shame because he was obviously a dominant force. And I think we just, we just lost Wally within the last year. This was I had already written the article, you know, I, I, I did all the research and, and did all the writing, you know, early, early-ish 2019, and a lot of the holdup has been to try to get artwork for this, to, to release it. And so I, I, I've already written all this, and in that time, you start to see some of these guys' health failed, and, and, and unfortunately, uh, Wally Chambers, I think, passed last fall or something uh, around that time period. But I had, hadn't really had a lot of experience looking at his career and his game, uh, but came out of the draft just absolutely dominant. Uh, eighth overall pick from Eastern Kentucky, so well thought of coming out of college. And I, you know, six foot six guy, just so big, played, played in the interior defensive line, and it kind of sounds to me, you know, to try to put some reference in it for me, kind of sounds like a Tommy Harris kind of guy, like just uh, really quick and, and explosive. And so he 
was able to be a first team all pro, I think like multiple times. And there's a, unfortunately there's a lot of different press agencies that give out awards, but United Press International named him the defensive player of the year in 1976, uh, which I think is pretty impressive for a guy that was on a seven and seven team. And so to me, this sounds like this guy was just uh, incredibly dominant and maybe the only real star. I mean, Buckus retires after the 73 season. And so maybe the only real star on the entire team during this time. And he, uh, I, 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 as I was doing some research on him, I realized that he was fighting through a lot of injuries already uh, before he had the, the really bad injury. And he was known to his teammates to just constantly be in the ice tub to the point where he was nicknamed the Admiral uh, because he was always in a, you know, a tub or a boat. And, and so we named the, the, the belt series uh, poster is called the row in Chicago, a uh, little bit of a, a nautical bent there. And then he's facing off against uh, big Doug, Doug, Doug Buffon, who I think is probably a guy you have some things to say about. Um, but to me, this guy really does seem like Wally Chambers seems like he's, easily the best player on the team and i so i used the black keys song lonely boy uh to uh to to commemorate his walk-up music because i think he was probably the only star during his reign which was 73 to 75 and then the one last note i'll make before i'll yield back to you on this matchup is that the bears were able to get a first round pick for him post injury from the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, who were not a very good football team in that era. And Tampa Bay's season ended up yielding that first round pick to be high enough for the Bears to take Dan Hampton in the next draft. How bizarre is that, huh? You go from uh, Wally Wally Chambers, had he not been so set back with injuries to his back and to his knee, We might be talking about Wally Chambers the same way in which we do talk about Dan Hampton. Right. That's that's how good he was. He was the he was the defensive rookie of the year in 73. He made the Pro Bowl in 73, 75 and 76. He he was lightning quick. He was tall. You know, he was six foot six, but he only weighed 250 pounds, almost like a Alan Page kind Mm. of a body body type, if you want to put it that way. Um, but the, you know, and, and I think that's, this is predating Alan page a little bit. Cause I don't think page came into the, the forefront until the, the mid to late seventies, but just, you know, he was, he was, I got to tell you, he, he was my favorite player on that. Oh, is that right? Before. Okay. Yeah. Before, before Peyton came along in 1975. And ironically, you know, Walter Peyton's 1975 career started against the, uh, the Colts, uh, and I think he had seven carries and gained a grand total of zero yards, which I'm, I'm sure you're gonna, you're probably gonna talk about. But, you think uh, Walter Payton might help hold the belt at some point? You, you, you just might think that he would. <laughs> uh, maybe even after Wally Chambers subs, right. uh, 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 secedes uh, and, and gives the uh, belt, he, he might have taken the belt off if there was one. <laughs> back then and actually giving it to Walter after the 75 season. But, you know, you asked me about, about Doug Buffon and, you know, 
you know, Doug Buffon's career starts um, prior to George Halas retiring for the last time. So when when Doug Buffon walked away from the game, he was the last player on the Bears to have ever played for George Halas as a head coach. Oh, okay. And just a, you know, just, you know, he had a hell of a career. You know, he was what he was drafted in 1966 in round four. It was the 60th pick overall because there weren't that many teams back then. And of course, you know, George Halas coached until 1968. So he was, he was on a George Halas coach team. And I, I can't remember, you know, he, what, he ended up going until the, the late 70s? 79. Um, you know, so, you know, he had a hell of a career. You know, that's 14, 14, 15 years as a linebacker. You know, and I got to tell you, hats off to anybody that, that took the pounding that these guys did. You know, we'll talk, I'm sure, I'm sure we'll talk about Walter Payton in a couple of minutes. Um but you know when the when the Bears moved from Wrigley Field, when when the Bears moved from Wrigley Field at the end of the 1970 season to to Soldier Field in in September of 71, the Park District installed AstroTurf, and it was the worst playing service. Mm, right. Uh, I mean, it was it was like it was like carpeted cement. Because there was no padding underneath that, that at all, and for these guys to have the type of careers that they had, so you know that's nine years for uh, for Buffon on that on that uh, on that turf, right. and Peyton, of course, played from 1975 until 1987, so he played for 13 years and never missed a game. He missed one game his rookie season, which I'm sure we'll get into, uh, and it was a coach's decision. So right. uh, just some great choices going on here. Um, yeah, Wally Chambers, uh, for those of you that don't know, if you can ever get some film on uh, Chambers back on, in, on YouTube, you got to do it because the guy was just phenomenal. Uh, so that leads us to 1976. And the belt finally goes to a man they call Sweetness. Right. So my only question was, how long is Walter Payton going to hold the belt for? And when he got into it, you know, his rookie year is a disappointment. And Walter has said as much, you know, in biographies that he was really disappointed with how his rookie year went. And a lot of reasons behind that, you know, backfield by committee. He wasn't really comfortable quite yet in the city, really hadn't embraced, uh, embraced Chicago quite yet. So a lot of reasons going on for maybe why his performance wasn't quite up to Walter Payton's standards in 1975. And, of course, you had you already had Wally Chambers established. And so it, it did make me feel like I could keep the belt with Wally Chambers in 1975 and not, you know, make a mistake here. You know, I certainly don't want to offend the legend of Walter Payton by any, uh, by doing anything like that. And so, but in 1976, Walter Payton just takes off. He's first team all pro. He's, he, you know, he, he's just absolutely killing it. And, I mean, back-to-back first-team All-Pro seasons in 76-77. Uh, it's got over 2,100 yards from scrimmage. 
<laughs> in 14 games. Uh, yeah. Obviously would have gone over 2,000 yards that year had they played a 16-game schedule. And, and it, to me, I mean, Walter Payton is the number one bear of all time. And so it, it was just, it, you know, this is so easy to, to give him the belt at some point and know that he doesn't really have any competition that's going to take it away from him. Uh, but there start to be a lot of really incredible Chicago Bears starting in the, you know, real late 1970s and then early 1980s. And so you start to try to like, well, what at what point, you know, am I trying to take this away from him? At what point does he maybe lose this? And and obviously this is the end of this particular the the I, I had to finish this part of the series with Walter. I wasn't going to move on past this, but he does keep it through the 1985 season, and then I start anew in 1986. And obviously that's not out yet, and we'll talk talk about that next time. Uh, but he keeps it all the way through the Super Bowl. We call it the Super Bowl scuffle. Uh, this this particular <laughs> battle, and uh, I think the biggest competitor to potentially take away the belt would have been Samurai Mike, Mike Singletary. And that would have been in that 84, 85 range when Singletary was establishing himself, you know, filling those shoes that Buckus left behind as the next great middle linebacker in Chicago Bears history. Uh, But, you know, Singletary does not actually capture this during this part, so um, it, it's it's still Walters. Uh, there's a little I, there's a little hint there for part three well, or there's part a four. Good chance that he might capture it at some point, but and, and, um, I, and, I, I, and I'll and I will I will tell you up front if you have if you have Singletary as a belt holder at any time, I will disagree with you, but we'll get into that in a few weeks when when part three comes out. But before before we, I can't let you go until we talk about Walter Payton's 1977 season. Yeah. Uh, you know, just absolutely, you know, an incredible year. Um, he might break 2,000 yards rushing in 14 games. Um, are you familiar with their last game of the regular season, or do, or do you want me to talk about it? Oh, go ahead. So the Bears were sitting at uh, um, eight and five going into the last game of the uh, season. They're playing in East Rutherford, New Jersey, and they're playing against the uh, uh, New York Giants. Um, the, the weather was terrible. In fact, uh, it was sleeting during the game it there was rain frozen rain and sleet falling before the game and for some reason we all know what the reason is which I'll get into in a minute the uh, field was not covered before the game right they they left the field uncovered the entire game there were three inches of sleet on the field when they started the kickoff and of course, you know you couldn't get any traction whatsoever uh, in on that game. And the Bears needed that game. If they win the game, they make the playoffs for the first time since 1963. And you know, actually, the uh, they do win it uh, with a Bob Thomas field goal. But the, the field was just absolutely atrocious. I mean, atrocious. 
so I'm, I'm, I'm going to pull up the box score for that game here in a minute. But uh, I want to, there's two games I do want to talk about because I had the privilege of, of being in the stands for both of them. Uh, everybody talks about Walter's game against the Minnesota Vikings uh, just a few weeks before this game where he ran 40 carries for 275 yards. I think the very first time he touched the ball, he went around right in for about 30 yards, and that set the tone for the entire game. Uh, but I think his best game as a, as a Bears running back was actually the week prior. Then uh, This is a time where the Bears were, were really struggling. Uh, the Bears were at home against the Kansas City Chiefs, They had just come off a humiliating loss to the Houston Astros down in Houston. And they're sitting at three and five. Uh, Pretty much their their playoff hopes are absolutely dead in the water. And Kansas City comes out and just hands the the Bears helmets to them. I think they were up 17 to three at halftime. And then Walter Payton kind of took over the game. He scored three rushing touchdowns he had 193 yards rushing he had another 20 or so yards receiving he scored a uh i think it was a 15 yard touchdown and let's let me back up the boat because uh, everybody has seen the 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 gif because i don't know how you say it gif or gif i say gif okay so you see walter payton bouncing off of all of these kansas city chiefs defenders before he gets tackled inside the five-yard line. That's the game. That right. is the game that, that this happened. And just right at the two-minute warning, the Bears take the lead 21-20. to 20. It, was, it was a terrible, windy windy game. And uh, so the Bears now lead 21-20. to 20. There's two minutes to go. The Kansas City goes right down the field, and they score, I think it was Ed Podolak, scores a touchdown with less than 50 seconds to go in the game. And it's 27 to 21. You're thinking, okay, this is over. Cause the quarterback back then was, was Bob Avellini. And he was absolutely brutal in, in this game, but uh, he found it. He, the bears got a break when Kansas city squib kicked the ball and it didn't go very far. Uh, Robin Earl caught a pass and, and got it up around the f- midfield, um, or in, and I think he actually got it in, into Chiefs territory. And with three seconds left on the clock, Avellini had lost a pass down the left seam to a wide open Greg Latta, who catches it over his shoulder in the end zone for a touchdown. Uh, they kicked the extra point, which was a little bit in doubt at that time because I think Bob Thomas had missed two kicks that game. They go on to take a 28-27 to 27 lead. They squick-hit the ball. It got fumbled around. The Bears actually recovered it as time expired. And I think to this date that is the best comeback victory in Bears history. And some people might disagree with me about the uh, – Maybe the uh, boy hard uh, to it, talk about that without mentioning the Mike Brown, the Mike Brown pick sixes. You know, um, you know, and you know, it's it's ironic that in in all three games, 
the Bears didn't look good. In <laughs> fact, if you want to go back, I, I happened to be at the game in 2001, the second of Mike Brown's walk-offs in, against Cleveland. Right. And, you know, there's two minutes left to go in the game, and the Bears are losing 21-7. to no, no, terrible. And and they took a hail mary and a and a you know an onside kick and, yep. and then, of course Mike yep. Brown's they, magic. But I, they, I you yep. know I, I'd like to ask you about that the the flu game the record setting game because we talk about this on the 1970s episode which again will be out on Monday. Um, and do you remember the final score of that game that Walter Payton rushes for 275 yards? Yeah, it was 10 to seven, and the game was saved by by uh, Hicks's interception at the goal line. 10 to seven on a game where the running back has 275 yards rushing. Like what happened? Yeah. Is that crazy? It's, it's nuts. It actually, it's, it doesn't make sense. It, it it really, you're absolutely right. It, it just doesn't make sense. Um, But you know, you got to take, you got to go back and take a look at the box score from that game. Oh, I Um, have, you know, which (laughs) it's it's bizarre. So, you know, we before we get into that, we were we were talking about the last game of the year uh, when they were playing the Giants. Uh, that was a 12 to nine game. Uh, I don't think there was a touchdown score. They were all they were all field goals. Um, Crazy. The Bears had 13 uh, first downs for the entire game. Uh, they barely had uh, 300 yards total uh, offense. Uh, the, the New York Giants had uh, 374 yards in total offense. Uh, Walter Payton ran the ball 15 times for only 47 yards. He had six receptions for 23 yards. Uh, Bob Avellini, 17 of 26 for only 186 yards with one interception and three sacks. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that was, that was that game. It was just absolute, the playing conditions were just absolutely brutal. Uh, I can't, I can't tell you, uh, you know, how, how actually, how poor the uh, playing conditions position conditions were in, uh, in, in that game. But, uh, you know, the Kansas city game started a win streak. The bears did not lose again until they got into the playoffs as a wild card, but they ended up losing to down in Dallas. Um, and it wasn't close, but that was their first taste of playoffs uh, since the 1963 championship year. So when you look at the statistics from the Minnesota game, the uh, Minnesota only had 11 first downs. They had 88 yards rushing 116 yards, throwing the ball with three interceptions the Bears threw the ball seven times. Yeah, it doesn't make any sense. No, it, it, it absolutely doesn't. You know, Bobby Evelyn, and one of those passes wasn't even thrown by the quarterback. It was, I believe, a, either a fake punt or a fake field goal. Uh, actually, early in the game when Brian Bashnagel threw a pass and uh, it, uh, it went incomplete. Four of six for 33 yards with one interception. One sack was Bobby Avellini's stat line. Yikes. When you look at when you look at Walter, there's, there's only there's only one, two, three. There's only four 
offensive players on the stat sheet other than Avellini and, and Bash Nagel. Because Bash Nagel, that was his only stat on offense, was he was 0 for 1. Walter <laughs> Payton ran the ball 40 times for 275 yards. He had one score. Um, he had one catch receiving for six yards. So, you know, he had 281 yards on the day. Robin Earl carried the ball 15 times for 60 yards. Uh, his long, long run was nine yards. He only had one, uh, one reception for five yards. Uh, Johnny Muso, uh, which was a, a, a guy that uh, ran the ball a little bit for the Bears in the, in the mid to late 70s, uh, he had four carries for 13 yards, and James Scott was the only receiver to catch two balls for 22 yards. Uh, one was one of the 22 yards, one reception uh, accounted for 18 of his 22 yards. That's how brutal that scorecard was. And it wasn't that bad of a day. I don't think the wind was much of a factor that I can recall. Um, you know, it was a 20 mile an hour wind, but it was 48 degrees. It was damp. You know, it was very, it was kind of a mist in the air. But, it, um, I mean, I've seen the Bears play in a lot worse weather and have a lot better stats. Well, I think that 40-carry game is a really great way to wrap up this part of the uh, of the belt series because the song choice, the walk-up song choice, which I agonized over, because this is sweetness. This is Walter Payton. I want to make sure that I'm picking something that makes sense and something that he hopefully, I think, would have liked. And I ended up picking Bill Withers' Use Me, and there's, to me, this is a, <laughs> it's a great bell cow back song. Uh, there's, a, there's a line in there that says, oh, you just keep on using me until you use me up. And I think a guy that had 40 carries in a game and averaged over 20 carries per game over his career, I think he would have liked this. I also think he would have liked it because Bill Withers was on Soul Train, and so was Walter Payton. He Absolutely. danced he, on Soul Train, and yes, so I he think did. that he would have liked this song. So it, take these two numbers, 192 and 275. So that's, uh, what, four, four, almost 470 yards? Um, that's what he ran for in 73 carries in the game that I talked about that happened the week previous against Kansas City. Uh, we had 33 carries for 192 and three touchdowns in what I think is the greatest comeback in Bears history, which we'll, I'm sure, argue about when we get to the 2000s uh, on the what might be, I guess, uh, part five of the championship belt series. Yeah, you got the Mike Brown, and then you got the Crownham game against Arizona. The Crownham game, the back-to-back walk-off by Mike Brown, I'm sure we'll talk about in coming episodes when we talk about the championship belt series, we've been speaking to Windy City Gridiron's historian, one of their historians, Jeff Burkus, talking about his championship belt series. He also has another string of podcasts that's going on right now with a partner uh, called The Bears History by Decades, Hallis to Mac. Uh, tell us where we can find that, Jeff. It's all on the Windy City Gridiron podcast channel. So wherever you get your podcast should be easily downloaded through that channel. So you can pick up my stuff on Bears Over Beers, my normal podcast, or the Hallis to Mac podcast. And then, of course, there's other great podcasts on that network as well. 
Jeff, it's always a pleasure to have you on. I hope uh, once we get through the championship belt series, you won't be a stranger oh, to our podcast. It. Appreciate the opportunity to come in and talk Bears history with you. Awesome. I think one of these days I'd love to sit down for with a beer in person with you and your partner on uh, on the uh, Hales to Max series and your other historian uh, on on the site, uh, one the one and only Jack Silverstein. Well, if we get uh, together for beers with Jack, none of us, none of the rest of us will get to talk. It'll just be Jack telling stories. <laughs> <laughs> Let me mark the time on that one so I can yeah, send, it send it to him. <laughs> no, we appreciate. In fact, we appreciate all of the guys at Windy City Gridiron. Uh, you and and Jack and and of course your editor in chief Lester who's always uh, available to come on our show. In fact, he was just on our show last week. So uh, uh, if you're a fan of Windy City Gridiron, you you got to be a fan of the Halitech Hall show and vice versa. Uh, we do spend a lot of time talking to each other off and on the air. Jeff Burkus, Windy City Gridiron. I just heard my favorite band is in town. I'd love to get good seats, but everywhere I've looked, the ticket sites have crazy service fees. Haven't you heard of Tick Splits? Who? Tick Splits. They don't gouge you with crazy fees. The price they advertise is the price you pay, plus a small delivery fee. Never pay service fees again. Go to TIXBLITZ.com today. TickSplits.com. Guaranteed seats, low prices. That's TickSplits.com. Every ticket, every venue, everywhere. Thanks again to our sponsor, TickSplits.com. That's T-I-X-B-L-I-T-Z. Six billion dollars of ticket inventory. Every single NFL game is already out there on sale. Uh, there are a lot of concerts that have been rescheduled, and they're out there as well. Uh, baseball, basketball, and hockey uh, tickets will be re-released when those seasons resume. So thanks again to our sponsor, Tick Splits, for donating two tickets that we're going to be giving away to the Bears-Packers game. And again, all you have to do is retweet us on Twitter. Hopefully, you're, you know, when you listen to the show, you'll get on and start retweeting. Tell your friends about the show and get us to 1,000 followers. That's all we need to do. As soon as we hit our 1,000 follower, we will give away those two tickets uh, assuming that the season will get played, so or at least the, there'll be fans in the seats when the season resumes. So, TickSplits.com. Aaron, over the last week and a half, uh, we've all seemed to all forget about self-quarantining and stay-at-home. Uh, people have been out in the streets rioting and looting. Uh but let's take a step back and go back a week and a half and go to exactly why this all started. It started when, when a man in Minnesota passed a bad $20 bill uh, that was counterfeit, and he ended up getting arrested. Uh, and uh, a couple of uh, Minnesota policemen ended up putting, at least one during the arrest, uh, put his knee into the throat or neck of the uh, perpetrator, uh, causing him to lose consciousness. And before he did, he was yelling and screaming that he could not breathe. And sadly, he ended up dying as a result of the altercation. And the world has been thrown into a dither ever since. 
Yeah, I mean, real tragedy. It's uh, you know the video actually shows uh, what what is a murder, um, you know, of uh, unarmed uh, man. Um, you know, whether or not he was. Uh, guilty of a crime uh, doesn't really matter because he certainly didn't deserve to meet the end that he met at the hands of uh, police. Um, and, you know, he was uh, he was held down for eight minutes and 46 seconds, George Floyd. Um, and, uh, you know, they use tactics that are that are improper um, in all ways. And so sadly, uh, this has brought to light uh, the, you know, the continued injustice of police brutality against uh, black people and minorities uh, that has gone on for, for a long time. So now we're seeing worldwide <clears throat> protests, uh, every protest in all 50 states. Uh, and unfortunately, uh, you know, what's also come with that is uh, the opportunists taking advantage of uh, civil unrest and using it as an uh, excuse to go out and uh, do damage to property. And, um, you know, we've seen uh, more instances of police brutality as a result of uh, the protests. And it's just been a very ugly uh, time in our country. Absolutely, uh, you know, terrifying uh, time to to see these things, these images um, that are now being captured and broadcast almost in real time. You know, that's, you know, the good news is it was captured in right. real time. Right. Um, it's bad that it ever happened at all, but it, it leads into some, some interesting arguments. And, you know, we, you know, we started taping this show uh, about almost uh, over an hour and a half ago, we had some technical difficulties, and I had a, a you know, I, I spoke um, I, I, from the heart, and I hope I can repeat some of what I said because we're re-recording uh, this segment. But um, there's no place for racism, and I don't care if you're black. If you're brown, if you're gray, if you're Indian, if you're Muslim, if you're Asian, if you're Native American, um, there's racism in the hearts of all people, uh, and it's got to change. And you have seen, hopefully, the seeds of that change being planted over the last nine days. Yes, we have to touch base on the fact that there were some opportunists, as you well so well put, that took this time to fire out in anger, um, and they looted, and they maimed people, they destroyed property, and there's no there's no room for that. Uh, to it doesn't it actually makes your point moot through your actions, but change has to come, and I think you're going to start seeing some of that. Uh, when I grew up, I'm 63 years old. I don't have a racist bone in my body, but I've I've seen it. I was sheltered from it as a child. I was sheltered from it until maybe, you know, the late 70s. Because I grew up in the northwest suburbs, Hanover Park, Schaumburg. Uh, I attended Schaumburg High School. I graduated in 1975. 
there may have been enough black people to count and has still have fingers left on one hand. And, you know, we had Asian, uh, but again, you know, you could count them on one hand and still have fingers left over. Um, I, I worked with a black gentleman in the mid seventies. I worked with a black gentleman um, in the in the 90s when I moved up to Madison, uh, but it was it was sparse. But I had no problem calling them friend, calling them work uh, associates, um, and, and we hung out. We had great times together. Uh, I got uh, I, I got a job at a Ford store in Madison as a used car manager. And I was told under no circumstances could I hire a black man on the sales floor in the used car department. And I was shocked. And this is, this is 1999, Aaron, 1999. And I was shocked that in a, in a democratic town that was so diverse as a college town of Madison, Wisconsin, that I was told I could not hire a black man. I was incredulous, but of course, in order to keep my job, I had to keep my mouth shut. You can't do that in today's society. You can't keep your mouth shut. If you see racism, if you see oppression, you gotta stop in, you gotta step in and stop it. And, you know, it, it's it's a shame that, that this happened to George Floyd I, I hate to say that if there's a blessing in disguise, because there is no blessing in the death of an innocent man, uh, even if he was guilty of of committing a crime, uh, you know, passing a twenty dollar bill when when you see around the corner from your restaurant drug deals and prostitution and maiming blood in the street that doesn't get cleaned up the next day. And uh, it's it's ridiculous that we see what we see and that police turn a blind eye to some crimes, but not other crimes, regardless of who commits them. And it's time that the world gets it right. We got to clean up the streets from crime. We've got to clean up the streets from from racism. And we've got to live our lives in harmony with everybody. There's all too much. I mean, you, we could talk all day long about rainbow coalitions and equal rights for gay people and lesbian people and queer people and transvestites, but it still doesn't go to the crux of the matter, which is racism against people who are different from you whether it is sexual orientation or color of their skin, it's got to stop and it's got to stop now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, you know, it's, uh, it, it, it never really has gone away. And, you know, you, you and Jeff uh, spent a lot of time talking about Bears players uh, from the 60s and, um, you know, Gail Sayers uh, dealt with racism and, um, you know, just just the other day, uh, Brittany 
Peyton went on Twitter and talked about um, dealing with racism. Somebody uh, in the, <clears throat> she was in the drive-through of a Walgreens picking up some medicine, and some guy saw her. Obviously, didn't know who she was. I mean, not that it might have mattered, but, um, and this is in the suburbs of Chicago, and. He, you know, he made a bunch of racist gestures at her, apparently got a watermelon out of his trunk and started uh, making monkey noises and faces. I mean, this is un unbelievable that this type of thing still goes on, um, you know, and, you know, here she is. She's tearful and going on social media telling about it. And she didn't at first want to, but, you know, um, she felt that people needed to hear about it. Um, you know, and so it just goes to show you that unfortunately, uh, this still exists. Um, you know, and we as people have to lead ourselves away from it. Um, you know, we can't count always on the leaders that we that we may or may not have elected to to get us out of this situation. We have to take it upon ourselves to handle what goes on in your house and then handle what goes on in your neighborhood and then you know from there um you know the, that goes for the police the police have to you know want want this to you know these things to to not be in their departments because uh when when people like derek chauvin uh murder uh policemen then or murder murder innocent people uh it makes police's job all over the country more difficult and it puts their lives in danger because uh, now people are extremely angry and fearful when they encounter uh, police. Um, so it just, unfortunately, you know, these type of incidents, uh, they they don't necessarily create unrest. They expose unrest. Um, and, you know, hopefully, as you said, something good can come out of it. And some things, you know, ha have started to come to light. Some of the uh, monuments in, in cities and towns around the country that are, you know, basically directly monuments to racist people, Confederate um, heroes have, have come down. Um, you know, uh, which is a good thing, and we have seen some some hopeful images, um, you know, of of some things. And you know, I mean, the last time there were riots and and protests like this, uh, widespread over the country, was of course, you know, when Martin Luther King uh, was assassinated, and and you know that that led to the civil rights. Um, um, you know, a uh, bill being passed and, and huge sweeping change uh, happening, you know. So hopefully the momentum of this and the energy of this can be turned in, you know, away from some of the, the more negative things that, that, that can come out of this type of uh, and uh, happening and it can, you know, lead to positive change. I mean, that's all we can hope for. Absolutely. You know, Martin Luther King Jr. was assassinated in, in Tennessee in 1968. Uh, and sadly, uh, you know, before he died, uh, he advanced equal rights to a place that hadn't, the United States had never seen. Mm -hmm. You know, you had, you know, people couldn't drink from the same water fountains in the early, you know, pre previous to the early 60s, you know, you know, the, uh, you know, bus riding, you know, mm -hmm. uh, you know, and, and the list goes, just goes on and, and on and on, um, you know, and, and his I Have a Dream, 
speech is is so impactful. Uh, you know, the the sad part is some of his disciples, after he was assassinated, went the wrong way and went the complete opposite direction that Martin Luther King was taking this movement, which was peaceful. And all of a sudden, it wasn't so peaceful. There were riots, don't get me wrong, but they weren't riots that Martin Luther King either endorsed or condoned. And he was never at a violent, that I'm aware of, and I was alive back then. I can't. I, I know there were there were some riots, but I know there was a lot of it was done in peace. Yeah, I mean, unfortunately, with with him, that uh, there were a lot of people that intentionally provoked uh, a violence in those protests. You know, in Selma and and things like that. There were people that that wanted to turn them violent on the side of the police and um, uh, you know. Etc. That that wanted those things to happen so that they could deal with it with violence. Unfortunately, he was more often the, those protests were more often the victim of violence. Um, but yeah, there you know certainly were different uh, movements that 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 didn't necessarily take as peaceful of a of a path um, as he certainly championed. Um, but, you know, I mean, I hope that people learn, um, you know, because a lot of people were even, you know, circulating sort of misinformation. They were, you know, circulating this picture of, of the march um, from Selma to Montgomery and saying, you know, this is a peaceful protest. And then, you know, uh, juxtaposing it against a picture of, of, an, of, a, of a violent, um, you know, looting type of act. And it's like, well, he yeah, had Selma uh, protest was peaceful until the cops decided to turn it extremely violent and it became a tragedy. So, um, you know, it's it's a good opportunity, I think, for people to learn. And and luckily, we do have uh, Bernice King and um, you know and you know the the children of Dr. King that that have I think done a good job of putting out some um, some you know some positivity and some you know some of his message um, you know that still goes on. And and you know I think people need to remember that it isn't just about one person. This is the tipping point of, you know, uh, oppression and and systematic racism that's gone on for the entire history of the country. So, you know, he made a lot of progress. There has been a lot of progress. There still needs to be a lot more progress. I mean, it, uh, it was only in the year 2000 that Martin Luther King Day was recognized in all 50 states. You know, how, yeah, how, for how, what for what people could have a reason for not recognizing it, God only knows. But you know, it just goes to show you that there are people who are still just dug into some backwards ways of thinking. And unfortunately, the, sometimes the only way to to change that is to root it out and uh, you know expose it. I don't know. You're you're so right. One thing that has started to evolve, we went from the the uh, anger of what happened in Minnesota uh, to the lashing out. And more and more now, 
Uh, and it's, it's, I mean, it's 35 minutes away from me in Madison where there was looting and windows being smashed. Uh, and it's now, I think that part is over and the silent protest uh, is, is now starting to uh, take over. And you see some very poignant uh, videos on social media. Uh, there was the, the policeman hugging and praying with a black woman uh, to, for racism to end. There, were, there was a line of protesters on one side of, a, of an intersection and a line of police in riot gear on the other side of the uh, uh, intersection. And the protesters got down on a knee and the policemen all did the same. They all got down on their knees and sat there in silence in a silent protest, in acknowledgement of that protest. There was a video of, of some interactions going on in the street, and there was a young white man that had a pole or something in his hand, smashing a window of a storefront. He took that same pole to the, to the front door, and the door was must have made with bulletproof glass because he couldn't break it. And he beat on that door three or four times, and a black man came up from behind him and wrestled the bar away from him to say, what the hell are you doing? That was a white man doing the damage. So it's not just black people doing the damage. It's people of all races acting out in fits of rage uh, for whatever reason, call it an opportunity to, to make a name for themselves or call it... Um, Asinine, because that's what it is. Uh, but you're now you're seeing th these people take over and saying, "No, man, this isn't what it's all about. This it can't be done through violence. It has to be done through communication. It has to be done through peace." With that, right. Aaron, I'm going to let you close out the show. Yeah, I'm just saying you know, that vast majority of the protests have been peaceful. The vast majority of the activity and the protests have been peaceful until people who had nefarious uh, intent chose to take it somewhere else. And for the majority of the times in the videos that I've seen, and unfortunately this has been like a car wreck that I can't turn away from on social media. and. It hasn't been the protesters who are who are the same people as the looters uh, and the rioters. Uh, those are people that are, you know, like you said, either desperate or trying to bring um, to simply bring chaos and to to you know who really don't want this country to be peaceful and are using this as an opportunity to create chaos and to create strife. Um, you know, and also, you know, sometimes they are just, I mean, I believe firmly that there are sick people who are really almost like thrill seeking and wanting to go out into like a lawless situation and, and just cause havoc um, with no real 
thought to why they're doing it, what they're doing it for, you know, or anything. Um, and uh, it, it's putting, you know, uh, protesters' lives in danger, and it's putting, you know, police lives in danger, uh, you know, et cetera. And it's, it's just, it's totally unacceptable. And ho luckily, for the most part, that has seemed to calm down. And, you know, I, I, I do think it's positive to see the scenes of uh, police who are standing aside uh, the protesters. But unfortunately, we have seen, you know, far too many instances where that's not the case. Um, and you see what works and what doesn't. You know, you see the, the guy in Flint, Michigan, the sheriff who who gave such an impassioned speech. You see, you know, I believe it was in um, San Jose, um, you know, another officer who, who you know, speaks with the protesters and, um, you know, it's, it is the right of people to, to voice their opinion to protest in this country. And, uh, you know, it is, but it is the police's job to keep everybody safe and to keep property safe and all those different things. And, and unfortunately, when police show up ready for the worst, sometimes that brings the worst on faster. Um, show up looking armored soldiers who are ready for a war, sometimes that war happens quicker than if they show up looking like they expect peace, but it's a difficult situation. I mean, you can't, you can't show up, you know, not ready. <laughs> so it's, it's, it's an ongoing challenge. And I'm, uh, you know, um, I hope that we see some great things out of it. Obviously the bears, um, had, uh, what you know? What they're saying was an amazing uh, conference call with 140 people on it, and um, Nagy, uh, you know, I think has shown uh, very good leadership during this, and I think McCaskey and, and Pace as well, um, and, you know, and and um, you know a lot of the players. Alan Robinson spoke uh, to the media today. Akeem Hicks, um, and you know, Akeem Hicks was skeptical about it. Uh, you know about the, about this big conference call, this big sort of kumbaya that the Bears had to really let everybody speak and say what they were feeling and 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 just say, hey, this is important. We need to embrace this. We need to to be a part of the change. And he, he even said it was it was very transformative and powerful and and all that sort of thing. So, um, you know, it, as I said, if you want change to happen, you need to start with what's right around you. So hopefully that that continues to happen. You know, the, the teams um, make the change inside their four walls and then they use their influence to, to bring about the change outside of it. And let's hope that change has already started. Um, you know, the, the uh, kumbaya that, that got, it kind of got labeled uh, went away. You know, when, when Akeem Hicks started talking, uh, he was he voiced his concern that when it began, he, along with several other Bears players, were very skeptical on how this call was was going to uh, go uh, in the direction it would turn. But it turned out to be very profound and earth changing for some players on that team. Um, and. I think that bodes well for the future of this team going forward. With that, um, you know, it's it's been a very trying week and a half, and I hope that we uh, are going to start seeing us turn the corner, not only on on this situation, but on the COVID crisis, 
we're starting to see more and more people uh, get out. We're seeing more states open. We're seeing more states open. Um, you know, they have these five, six, seven step plans from state to state. Some states are already wide open. Some are halfway open. Some are like your state in Illinois. Uh, you're in phase three of what if I can't, it's a fight like six or seven phases. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's, it's starting and, um, it'll, it'll be interesting to see that, uh, uh, as we reopen, how we reopen mm-hmm. with that. I'm Michael Halitech. This has been the Halitech Hall show. I want to give a, th- a thanks to our uh, sponsor ticksplits.com our special guest Jeff Burke is from Windy City Gridiron and last but certainly not least my co-host Aaron Torricelli absolutely thanks very much thanks for listening thanks for the support and uh, we just uh, hope that everybody stays safe out there and uh, we look forward to uh, continuing to provide you with uh, Bears content and uh, Bears history information have a great week everybody Thank you.